Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soini Koch. What would you do if your nearest hospital closed? Oh, and by the way, the next closest hospital is 50 miles away. Well, our guest today, Earl Rogers, CEO of the Georgia Hospital Association, and Fran Baker-Witt, CEO of the Effingham Health System, are going to talk to us about that issue and some other important trends in the world of healthcare and hospitals. And I got to tell you, I actually showed up at this guest's office a few months ago. I was so excited and eager to get um, a hospital CEOs on my show. And uh, their head of PR, uh, Kevin, was kind enough to facilitate this interview. So I'm really delighted to have you both on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So you can find out more about GHA, that's the Georgia Hospital Association, about Earl and Fran at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. But to get us started, Earl, there is so much happening with Georgia hospitals and healthcare and all that's happening, the swirl that's happening around the election and the uh, Affordable Care Act. What do you think are the most important trends that your CEO colleagues need to be aware of right now? Well, first of all, before I get into that, I want to be sure that the listeners understand what Georgia Hospital Association is just very quickly. Uh, We do represent every hospital in Georgia, uh, over 170 hospitals. Uh, That is all the uh, rural hospitals, all of the urban hospitals, the investor-owned, as well as the Uh, not-for-profit hospitals. Uh, We represent them before the state legislature as well as the uh, Georgia delegation to the U.S. Congress. And uh, we work advocacy, education, and communication. And that's why Uh, I showed up at your office asking you to be on the the show. Exactly. But you ask about trends. And uh, I would say that uh, moving forward, uh, technology advances are going to be uh, great advances in technology. Uh, Drugs are going to be Uh, better, uh, newer drugs coming out. With that comes a lot of added uh, cost, of course, because for drug companies to uh, develop and research uh, drugs, it costs a lot of money. It's already been expected that next year uh, pharmaceuticals will rise about 12% after uh, a rise of approximately 10% last year. Uh, Meanwhile, the uh, shortage of doctors and nurses uh, will continue to get worse. And uh, when you consider that uh, hospitals and physicians have to deal with over 15,000 pages of regulations in Georgia alone, dealing with uh, uh, Georgia and on the federal level, dealing with 48 uh, agencies, uh, you can see that the hospital uh, sector is probably one of the most regulated uh, in the country. Uh, The Affordable Care Act, as you know, uh, cut payments to Medicare by approximately $155 billion uh, over the next 10 years. What does that mean for Georgia? Uh, Georgia, it'll be at least a billion dollars for each of the next 10 years and probably more. You know, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, ruled that uh, Medicaid uh, expansion would be optional for the states. Well, that's not what the Affordable Care Act had in mind. (laughs) Uh, They were going to cut the Medicare but make up for it on the Medicaid uh, side. But then when they made it optional, 
uh, states like Georgia and some others uh, did not get the benefit of that. So we got the cuts, but we got no benefit. Uh, that is going to continue to be a significant problem uh, as uh, providers try to uh, get reimbursed properly. Now, when we talk about Medicaid and Medicare, I think it's important for listeners to know the difference. We find out all the time that uh, uh, even a lot of our policymakers and our lawmakers don't really understand the difference between Medicaid and Medicare. Medicaid is a program for the poor. Uh, Medicare is a program for those 65 and over. But I want to emphasize these are state and federal programs, okay? So healthcare providers, hospitals, we are dealing with a state and federal program where we are getting paid less than the cost to deliver the service. How does that work? Well, it doesn't work very well, and I'll, I'll explain to you why. Uh, when you get 86 cents on the dollar for every Medicaid patient that comes through the door, 96 cents on the dollar for every Medicare patient, uh, on the dollar of cost now I'm talking about, not charges, but cost, then that is a losing proposition. So I want you to consider something. Every other federal and state government contractor out there, whether it's road builders that built the roads that uh, we drove in today and you see all of the construction out there, those people are getting paid what it costs plus a profit. Lockheed, just up the road, a, a defense contractor, they are getting paid by the government a cost plus a profit. Go inside of a government building, you'll find utilities, the lighting, even the people who are cleaning the building. Every one of them are government contractors. They're all hired by the government, and they are all paid uh, a reasonable price to do it plus a profit. Only in healthcare do you find where those of us who are asked to do it, we're hired to do it, we're told to do it, uh, we do not get paid uh, even cost on what we're doing. So uh, we're the only government contractor that does not get cost back. That is a recipe for disaster, uh, which is why I think you have seen five hospitals close mm -hmm. uh, in the last uh, three years. Uh, one right here in Metro Atlanta. Uh, just this week, we heard about a, a, an, a hospital right here in Metro Atlanta that had to lay off uh, many employees. They did not uh, uh, fill many, many positions uh, there as well as a cost-saving measure. Uh, the CEO resigned um, just last year. I went down to visit a hospital in uh, southern Atlanta, and uh, as I was leaving, uh, it, it's such an interesting story. I was talking with the CEO. I noticed he was rather melancholy, and I didn't really understand why. And about uh, 4 p.m., I noticed that a, a, uh, a lady came in. She grabbed a box of tissues and walked out, and I thought, what is that all about? Mm. And uh, so he looks at me. He knew that I didn't understand, and he said, we're laying off people today. He said, you came at a very interesting time, but uh, he says today was the day we had to lay off, uh, you know, 100 employees, and it, it, it's not a good situation around here. Today. All right, so let's, pa let's pause there because I think that's a good place to bring in Fran, um, given that you're in what— you know, in a rural area, which is one of the trends that I led with, most of those hospitals that closed, correct me if I'm wrong, Earl, were in rural areas. Um, uh, four of them were. One was in, uh, here in Atlanta. So 
Fran, tell us about what you're seeing um, with regard to the rural hospital closures and um, what you think are some important uh, highlights and trends that you think uh, your CEO colleagues should know about. Well, I I believe that um, what we're seeing is a result of the ACA with uh, the management of uninsured patients. Uh, we're seeing a significant increase in, in the uninsured population, not only in the rural setting, but also in the urban setting. Which was by design, correct? Uh, under the ACA, correct. Mm-hmm. But the ACA uh, uh, goal was to ensure, and they do ensure, over 20 million people across the United States today in the exchange. So the challenge becomes now we're in an era of uncertainty which is what I would like to call it. We're not sure what's going to happen next, but we do have that population out there that is seeking health care. So what strategies do we put in place to uh, manage that population and still sustain some level of viability operationally? And that, go- that to me, drives the programs and services that CEOs need to start Uh, examining and assessing in their organizations to see, is this of value? Mm. So tell us in your early thinking or in your discussions with your your colleagues, what are some of the strategies that you as a CEO of a hospital are looking at? One, to deal with some of these financial pressures that Earl was just talking about, because no business can run forever unprofitably, right? Like if you're not getting enough money to cover your costs, that's not going to work for very long. Well, uh, my strategy as a CEO is to align my physician partners as well as my legislators and my uh, community partners to um, uh, develop a more integrated healthcare model that engages the community. Uh, when we look at uh, our population today and we look at Generation X and the millennials and we see that chronic care disease management is uh, an area in healthcare that we are going to have to develop some robust strategies to manage the population. For example, uh, strokes and hypertension and diabetes and diabetes, those diseases cost hospitals and other healthcare providers across the country a great deal of money, dollars and resources, particularly when you're dealing with populations that patients are not compliant. And in a setting such as mine... Yeah, I still want to keep going to McDonald's even though I have diabetes. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. So so when you're, when you're faced with uh, socioeconomic issues, uh, you're faced with uh, education issues from the populations that you serve, uh, you need to pull back and uh, align your key stakeholders to determine what are we good at. I, uh, recently, I asked my C-suite team to assess the top five diagnoses that are admitted to my health system so that I could collectively with my team develop a strategy using evidence-based practices, which is uh, a driver in the value-based delivery model that CMS and, uh, as Earl stated, federal and state payer sources are mandating that uh, hospitals uh, start to adopt. So, for CEOs who may not be kind of so deep into healthcare, we have a we have a, a list, listeners from various industries. I'm wondering, dollars and cents wise, because all CEOs know what that means. How is integrating 
going to help you balance out some of the financial pressures that that Earl just mentioned? The integration um, process would include an, a, a cost valuation or assessment. Uh, uh, I think CEOs should know what does it cost my institution to manage a patient with chronic diabetes on the acute side as well as on the outpatient side. Uh, bundle payment system is a new term that is um, uh, on the horizon, and um, it's uh, basically impacting long-term care. Uh, it's called the IMPACT, which is post-acute care. And uh, one of the drivers there for all providers, example would be if I'm discharged from the hospital and I go to your skilled care facility and I leave your skilled care facility and I, uh, I'm discharged to home health, we receive one payment. So it's incumbent upon us to uh, aggressively and assertively manage that stay in, in, in my assigned setting. So if, if the patient's uh, disease process um, and based on evidence-based practice and research says I should be discharged from home health in two days, then I need to be discharged. That means that the therapy, the nurse, all things, there needs to be some synergy and some connectivity uh, uh, around what I should receive as a patient and the expectations should be clear and more importantly, involve me, the patient, in that delivery care model. Mm -hmm. So, Earl, let's go back to a couple of the trends that you mentioned in the in, as you were opening. And I'm curious as to how these actually affect hospitals. So you mentioned um, technology and, and drugs. So how do those actually affect the bottom line um, or some of these financial pressures at hospitals? Well, as the uh, technology advances, uh, you would hope that over the long term, and that's uh, that uh, cost would come down. But it's the it's the development of these uh, of these things that are very costly on the front end. Uh, hopefully, on the back end, though, it, it will reduce cost. Uh, the drugs, um, again, uh, the is going to rise about twelve percent next year. I'll tell you a way that another way that uh, some hospitals are looking to save uh, money. Over the past uh, uh, few years, uh, 27 hospitals, since 2014, 27 hospitals have joined larger hospital systems. We had nine hospitals to do that in 2016. And the reason for that is to, uh, to improve the economies of scale, of course, uh, the ability to get IT improvements, uh, again, the technology side. Uh, the ability to attract uh, physicians, and again, to protect the patient access to care. Uh, some, some hospitals just cannot survive without a partner. So I think you'll see more consolidations uh, trending as we move forward. And I had, we were talking a little bit um, about this before the show started, but is there no impact that you can have on the revenue side, right? So we talked a lot, of, we talked a lot about costs, right? positions and integrating and trying to get people to stop eating McDonald's if they have diabetes so that they don't, you know, spend twice as long in the hospital or come back 15 times. What can you do on the revenue side, if anything? Well, as I mentioned earlier, um, the, um, the number of uninsured uh, patients are uh, consistently uh, you, you know, increasing across America. And uh, that that's our reality. So uh, from a revenue cycle management uh, perspective, 
we are looking at ways that we can assist our consumers, our patients afford health care. Um, some institutions like my health system, we are partnering with other vendors to determine whether or not patients um, meet criteria uh, re- with respect to their income level uh, and what, what, what offerings can we offer that are within the federal and state guidelines so that health care is affordable and more importantly, assess- accessible to the uh, patients. Because when we look at the uh, Affordable Care Act there and the triple aim goals of, um, of CMS, they were access, cost, and health care outcomes. Quality. Quality healthcare yeah. outcomes, yeah. value-based healthcare outcomes. So I think that all CEOs, when you're looking at um, your programs and your your services that you offer, uh, those are three questions that I ask: access, cost, and what are the expected or anticipated healthcare outcomes. So how does that connect to? revenue cycle. Uh, well, there there are key indicators that all CEOs use to, to know whether or not financially uh, their hospital operationally is sound. And, and there are indicators that, that I look at on a monthly basis, sometimes biweekly, and uh, that's my, my AR, my AR, my collections, uh, my profit margin, and, uh, and I, those are on my radar to make certain that uh, we are meeting our financial goals. Mm. You know, uh, Fran mentioned the uninsured. We have 1.4 million Georgians who are uninsured. We have 1.3 million on Medicare and almost 2 million, almost 2 million on Medicaid. So uh, hospitals are on the average are treating 64% of their patients are either uninsured Medicaid or Medicare, which I've already explained, uh, does not recover the cost of doing business. So what happens then? Mm-hmm. You've got I'm about wondering. 35, 36% uh, So you're losing money on 64% losing of Losing money on all that. So where, where, how, do you, how do you survive? Well, uh, it's, it's people like you and me and the folks in this room that have insurance. So there's a cost shift that occurs. If you're losing money on this side, it's just like any other business. If you're losing money over here on this product, then you have to make up for it somewhere else. So the, the, the cost is shifted to those of us who have insurance. And that's why businesses are screaming about the high level, uh, the high cost of insurance these days. Uh, I'm not sure that they understand yet that uh, portion about the about the cost shift. Yeah, they're it. carrying one and a half other, pre- like for yes. each person, based on the numbers, each right. person who's insured is carrying one and a half other person. Correct. Right. And Go so ahead, another Frank. outcome of that would be you have your your and I, I could I can describe it as your bucket of people that are uninsured, but you also have hospitals that uh, budget operations based on inpatient census. So uh, the 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 flip side of that is you have man, uh, payer sources that are saying outpatient everything is driven. 
what can be done on the outpatient side. Let's reduce hospital admissions. Let's reduce um, uh, procedures. And, you know, now, I mean, there were years ago, you would go in and go into a hospital and have a C-section, for example, and you would be there for a week. Now you're discharged within 48 hours. So the there's a, there's a major paradigm shift happening uh, across the nation with early discharges, prevention and wellness, and, 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 and hospitals are fearing closure because they're so dependent on that inpatient census volume. So we need to start shifting our thinking and our, 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 our strategic planning in looking at our outpatient services and programs that we offer. And uh, there's a term that um, I like to use, and it's called pro- programmatic optimization. You know, what's working? What what can we, I usually tell my team, can we blow this up? Can we make this big? Can we, and who are we going to attract, you know, when we blow this up? So, so, uh, that's that's um, that's 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 a leadership style that I would say I say let's let's put it on the table and let's see what we can do with it and 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 ask those questions what do we want it to look like so I would encourage and um, my colleagues other CEOs to take a similar approach uh, oftentimes we. Uh, are so traditional in our thinking, and I consider myself to be a transformational leader and uh, an innovative leader. And to Earl's point regarding innovation, we have got to switch from tradition to innovation. Technology should be perceived as an enabler and not a panacea. And oftentimes, I see clinicians and providers using technology and thinking te- technology will be the panacea, and that's not that's not always the case. That's not that that is not going to sustain what the CMS and what the payer sources expect from us as far as our ability to demonstrate that we are providing quality health care. Thank you. So, for those of you listening, we're talking to Earl Rogers, CEO of the Georgia. Hospital Association, and Fran Baker-Witt, CEO of the Effingham Health System, about trends in hospitals and healthcare. Um, I want to turn the conversation a little bit to exactly what Fran started to talk about, which is leadership. So with all of the change that's happening in the industry, I can only imagine how, in, in many cases, stressful, upsetting, you know, doctors, some of the doctors want to quit. I don't like this anymore. I can't just practice medicine and show up and help people. What's your best advice for CEOs who are leading in this environment about how they can deal with the change, motivate their team, deal with what I have noted as kind of maybe an underlying feeling of despair? You know, Um, it must be very difficult to watch your colleagues um, or even yourself deal with financial pressures. So, um, Earl, I'll toss that over to you. You know, um, there's one rule that never fails, and that's the golden rule that we were all taught as children. And, uh, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And um, I have a physician uh, friend. He's a, a heart surgeon, and uh, he practices that so well. Uh, he invited the CEO of a local hospital uh, to come in and observe uh, his uh, surgery one day. And the CEO was recounting this to me. My, my friend never told me about it. 
the CEO was so impressed because this seasoned professional, this surgeon, would operate and he would make cuts and he would turn to his associates and he would look at each one and he would say, do you concur? Uh, in other words, he was being very, even though he, he had done this hundreds of times, uh, he wanted to make sure that his team around him uh, uh, understood that if he were to make any kind of mistake, it was okay to raise your hand and say, stop, stop right there. I think we're heading in the wrong direction. That is light years away from the uh, culture that, that we had years ago. So I, I was so impressed with that um, as an example. So again, I think in, you mentioned the pressures uh, th- that are in, uh, on our healthcare providers these days. They're looking to get out of the business and so forth. Uh, again, the golden rule, you better treat people well, treat them nice. Uh, you can do that. You can still get your job done and, and, and uh, expectations can be met if you treat people the right way. The other thing is you got to hire smart people, hire people. Be, do not be afraid to hire people who are smarter than you are. Uh, if you only hire people that are at your level, then you'll never uh, rise above. Your organization will never rise above where you are. So be smart enough to hire very smart people. Uh, train. You got to train. I also want to mention the uh, the uh, the recent election. If you'll just give me a minute to sure. do that, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen coming forward. Uh, the president elect has, has has said many things. Uh, the proof will be in uh, actions, not words, of course. But uh, Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, has come out with a plan uh, that he calls a better way. And there's no secret that this administration uh, wants to uh, repeal the current uh, Affordable Care Act and replace it with something else. And I just want to say a couple of things about what, uh, what we might can expect from uh, Paul Ryan's better way on, this, on the subject of Medicaid. Starting in 2019, states will have a choice of whether to receive funding through a per capita allotment or a block grant. Now, the per capita allotment option uh, is determined by the state's average medical assistance expenditures in a base year. Now, where the problem comes in for Georgia is that we will be at a disadvantage here because we are already ranked almost last in a per beneficiary spending. So that would be a problem. There would be no option for non-expansion states. And you remember, Georgia is a non-expansion state. So there will be no option for non-expansion states to expand. Instead, there will be an opportunity for tax credits. Uh, these tax credits will be for those who don't have access to job-based insurance coverage, Medicare or Medicaid. In those cases, the federal government will step in and offer a universal, advanceable, refundable tax credit for individuals and families. I still am not clear about how that's going to work. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I, it seems like it could be problematic uh, uh, to me. The block uh, grant option uh, funding will be determined using a base year, uh, but the designation of how funds are spent would rest solely with the state. Now, let that sink in. How it, the money will be spent rests solely with the state. So if they decide to spend it on other things, that could be a real problem. So, so, Earl, so what what's your advice for CEOs listening for how they 
if you have any, right? About, and Frana, you maybe like to take this question as well, along with the previous question. How do you think about leading in this level of uncertainty? I guess I'll go first. Yeah, okay, go ahead. I've got some things I want to mention, but I, I don't want to hog the conversation. No, no that's fine. <laughs> uh, I, um, I would like to start with, uh, there was um, the word that Earl used earlier was culture. Uh, I would start with your, your governing structure, your governing body, your board. Uh, what does that look like? What are their expectations? What are the strategic goals for, for the organization three, five, or 10 years from now? Because that those are key stakeholders. And also your other partnerships like GHA. Uh, we partner with GHA on a lot of federal and and state quality initiatives and having a true um, solid foundation for collaboration uh, with uh, people like GHA and and uh, other partners, physician partners, to um, to collectively decide on what do we want for our institution. I mean, it has to be unique. You cannot function in a silo as a leader, as a CEO, not today and survive. Uh, you will have to adopt uh, principles uh, and competencies such as business acumen, uh, str- uh, strategic develop, knowing how to develop business partnerships and, and be able to articulate that appropriately uh, to the community and to, to your key stakeholders as well. I see, and particularly in my institution, I see a major cultural shift happening, and I tend to use the term a paradigm shift. And I don't think it's just happening in Effingham Health System. I think it's happening across the nation. Uh, Years ago, CEOs would just sit in the office and and, uh, uh, manage from the desk. Uh, I know a lot of my colleagues just like myself, we, we we go to work, we're out there with the people. You have got to engage your employees. Statistics support that happy employees equal happy patients. If your employees are happy, you're going to have a healthier and, and better outcomes. And with the design of the current system, the uh, buzzword is value-based medicine, value-based delivery system. Embedded in that delivery system is the patient's experience is the consumer experience and how they perceive the care that they receive at your hospital. And as a CEO, you need to be in the trenches and understand what that experience and what that workflow will, is, is what that patient is actually experiencing in your institution. So what are some of the tactics that you're using to, to, keep, happy employee, to keep happy patients when most of your employees or many of your employees might be miserable, right? Like, you know, there's a lot going on, right? Well, I think one of the key indicators uh, that I initially assessed was turnover rate. If I had to uh, give some advice, look at your overall turnover rate. Look at your voluntary turnover rate. Look, look at your involuntary turnover rate and see the, and, 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 and drill down and peel back that onion and see in the areas in your uh, organization where where's that most happening because most people leave because of their leaders not because of their colleagues and and you have to be willing to take a risk you have to be willing to take a risk and 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 um and step outside your comfort zone and and I usually tell my 
my uh, my team, um, we're you know we have to stretch ourselves, and we're in an era that uh, it's going to require us to wear more hats and stretch ourselves and do more. And and with doing more requires a different skill set, a different level of competencies. And I would just like to echo what Earl said that the you know when you are selecting C-suite individuals and when 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 board members are looking for CEOs, you really need to uh, have a good idea, really know what type of competencies you're looking for because it depends on the state of your hospital. What a hospital needed 10 years ago is not what they need today. Isn't as that he, the truth? Yeah. Like he stated, we're in a different era. So So I tell my team, hold me accountable. It's about accountability. I think that uh, we're in an era of true accountability, and the uh, and the delivery system is holding us accountable based on the outcomes uh, that are reported. Um, you know, with quality uh, core measures and quality outcomes, as well as the patient's experience. You know, uh, something that I'm I'm really proud of. While at GHA, at our association, we don't directly serve patients, but we serve those who do. And uh, it was so good to see the response that our caregivers gave uh, during the recent hurricane, Mm. uh, Hurricane Matthew along the coast uh, that reached up into Effingham County. And uh, to, to see uh, Kevin Bloy, our public relations uh, executive, uh, went down there and did some filming to see the kind of response that those caregivers, uh, they would stay around the clock, not knowing where their families were, uh, homes were destroyed, uh, their own homes destroyed, but they knew what their job was. They stayed at the hospital. They took care of those patients. And at the end of the crisis. Not one patient was lost. Fran, I'm, I'm sure you could comment on that. You were down there living it. Yes, I was. So uh, we were the um, the only hospital that was open <laughs> uh, within that 100-mile radius. Mm-hmm. I am an, a registered nurse by trade, so um, it was easy to to jump in and assist the team and, and, and uh, support the efforts uh, to manage uh, the patients. and Did you do clinical work that, that? I did whatever I had to do. Wow. Yeah, I did. I did. Because um, I think you need to role model what you expect as a leader. What you and and you need to and people need to see that you're willing to roll up your sleeves and and work side by side. And my staff saw that I passed out water to the patients. And yes, I did. So just when you think that we have employees that are uh, might be ready to throw in the towel (laughs) because of all of the regulations and all of the things that we have to work under. And then this sort of thing comes along, and it just demonstrates to you once again the commitment of these people, and it's just amazing. Great. So as we we close the show, um, Earl, I would love to know if there's anything happening at the Georgia Hospital Association um, that you think uh, the CEO listeners should should be aware of, of, any upcoming programming, any events, anything like that? Well, we, one of our, I mentioned at the start of the show that we had uh, uh, education as part of our a charge, and uh, we do have a, a trustees education coming up just uh, next month, 
We do this every year. Uh, it's, it's very well attended. Uh, the entire hotel sells out uh, to the people attending the program, and uh, it just continues to get bigger every year. Uh, again, trustees, the, uh, the board members of these hospitals, uh, have to get certain amounts of credits, and, uh, and I think we do a great job there. Uh, I, I, there's one thing I want to mention, if you don't mind. You haven't asked me about this, but I want to talk a little bit about, about the politics, okay? Mm-hmm. I find that, that people sometimes forget how important it is to get to know your elected officials, uh, not only get to know them, they need to get to know you. You need to have a relationship with your ele- your local elected officials and your state representatives and your state senators, as well as your members of Congress. Uh, don't wait until you need something. Don't wait until there's a crisis before you go in to see someone that you have no relationship whatsoever. I promise you it'll pay huge dividends uh, and if, if our members, and I would say that to any CEO of any industry, uh, get to know your public policy officials. And um, uh, this is what happens, Fran, uh, Fran and, and, and Salini. There are lots of interests down there at the Capitol. If you're not there, those other interests are going to eat your lunch mm. and leave you with a tab. And it's just that simple. Thank you. I agree. And we have reached out to our uh, legislators in our area as well. And um, from advice and, and, and direction uh, with GHA to build the relationship there and um, make sure we're all on the same page as far as the direction of the uh, institution. So um, as a matter of fact, we've a, we have a breakfast scheduled uh, in the next week or so with our, our our senator and our uh, representatives at our uh, hospital. So we're excited about being able to share uh, where we are, uh, where we are in the industry, uh, what we would like for them to um, support, if I can use that word, and not support (laughs) in the spirit of transparency, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, so uh, because my needs are different from uh, uh, a hospital in Atlanta. My needs are much different in 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 rural Georgia than they are up in in Atlanta. So uh, I need my legislators to be well equipped and uh, be able to clearly articulate what my needs are uh, for my institutions. So. And I'm glad you mentioned that about what you uh, what you don't support, <laughs> because uh, there people have to remember this is a citizen legislature. Uh, these folks are working forty days out of the year. They're coming from all walks of life, but yet 40 days out of the year they spend legislating. They're not the experts. You are the expert. Don't ever forget that. You are the expert in your area. It's up to you to to educate uh, these elected officials. Believe me, you don't want them uh, passing a law or writing a law that they know nothing about, and uh, they need to have input from you. And it kind of gets back to what I said about there's a lot of other interests down there they're going to be yanking them in another direction. So don't let them uh, uh, get ahead of you on that score. Great. And uh, Fran, any closing thoughts? I'll, I'll give you the floor for the, the last few moments. Uh, just, um, just want to comment on um, our commitment to our patients first, uh, if I could uh, end with that. Um, assessing and taking hold of uh, what your community needs are 
we are required to uh, complete a community uh, health needs assessment. Uh, all the hospitals are, and that should truly be a key driver uh, to your delivery system and and drive the success. Uh, and it's 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 uh, it's collaborative. It's it, it requires key stakeholders and and people that could really really make some sound decisions and and fast track some initiatives. Uh, I think we uh, as leaders uh, need to hold ourselves accountable. Make sure we articulate what the value system and the principles are in our organization. I'd leave, I'll, I'll leave with what I tell my team on a daily basis, and that is be the change, lead the change, and see the change. Thank you. Thank you so much for a great show. And for everyone listening, thank you for joining us on CEO Exclusive. On today's show, we had Earl Rogers, CEO of the Georgia Hospital Association, and Fran Baker-Witt, CEO of the Effingham Health System. Down thank you South, for having us. Yeah, thank South you. Georgia. It's been a great show. And on Thursday, you can check out a blog where we're going to give you the t- key takeaways from today's show. And uh, you can find out more about them, their hospitals, their bios at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. I am Soyini Koch. And until next time, have a prosperous, productive, and very profitable week. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.